So, Ryan McGee, it is college bowl season. Um, what did that mean for you growing up in the McGee household? It's the holidays. I mean, watching bowl games at the McGee house was every bit the same as hanging stockings over the chimney with care. We, we, we would watch every game. You know, a particular, my dad, you know, was a college football official. We spent a lot of holidays in hotel rooms because dad mm, was officiating right? a game. And then how many did he work about about two dozen and, and worked everything from Rose bowls to orange bowls to, uh, Mazda Gator bowls to, uh, Sega Vegas bowls. Uh, who could forget? Yeah. And, and, and the thing is that even now when my dad retired from officiating college football, uh, in 2009, but even now, like the blankets that we use, like I have a Sega Las Vegas Bowl blanket that I keep on my legs <laughs> if I'm sitting in the basement working. I have a quilt that my my dad had made of all his, you know, Bill Snyder ish jackets and T-shirts that had all the bowl game logos. That's I mean that's what my family snuggles up with, and uh, it's you know that's that was my life, and that's why I love them. Well, the idea that these bowl games. Uh, which I, I'm trying to understand as somebody who does not feel their warmth, <laughs> literally and figuratively, uh, throughout my childhood. I, I, I'm wondering, like, the, the range of them, right? From the uh, large to the obscure, uh, where are your favorites along that spectrum? Well, I mean, obviously the Rose Bowl is a Rose Bowl. And, you know, my dad officiated an Orange Bowl in the old Orange Bowl. But I also am a sucker for, like, the Sun Bowl. Like, I grew up watching that game at noon on CBS and thinking, is this stadium just sitting on top of a mountain in the desert? I mean, it just blew my mind. And then, you know, playing bowl games inside of baseball stadiums. You know, Fenway Park. Uh, you know, they, they tried to play, they played a college football game inside Wrigley Field. Right. Uh, Yankee Stadium. Uh, San Francisco, they played a game in AT&T Stadium. It really didn't work. It didn't fit. I didn't care. I thought it was awesome. But but the all-time greatest, and it's not even a discussion, is the Poolland Weed Eater Independence Bowl. <laughs> That's the all-time greatest title in the history of bowl games. The, and oh, by the way, the, the, weed, what, eater the weed Eater Independence Bowl. Bowl. Yeah, the Poolland Weed Eater Independence Bowl. Excuse me. Oh, yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, it's the great. And, and my dad um, officiated in the game that gave you like a weed eater. To take home with you. I mean, it's, you know, what, are you, what are you talking about? But but it's just, it's a celebration of college football because they're weird and they're quirky. And I know to some people, they don't matter, whatever. It's more football. I don't understand why people complain about having more college football. Well, this is why we bring you specifically onto the show, McGee, because there is a, yes, a growing list of people growing longer every day, it feels like who say that these games just don't matter that much anymore, that this bowl season is the ugliest we have ever seen. And so I just want to understand how you see all of this. What do you want to say to them now? I say, lighten up, Francis. Buy a freaking humbug. You know, it's I don't, I don't understand why we have to try and ruin everything. It's the most 2022 thing ever that we allow ourselves to be dragged into a debate that keeps us from enjoying this gift that we are given for two and a half weeks of more college football. Pushing all this through the prism of the NFL is the biggest mistake that anyone makes. I think it's the biggest mistake anyone makes whenever it comes to any discussion of college football, particularly mm. 
when it comes to bowl games. Just relax, chill out, appreciate this holiday gift you've been given. And you know what? If you want to whine and you want to go watch something else, you go right ahead because my big bowl of nachos and myself, uh, we will be sitting down to watch the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. You'll be snuggling up, surrounded by, yeah, eating weeds and uh, <laughs> and quilts yeah. from 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 the things you love the most. Yeah. Cricket Celebration Bowl, Wasabi Fenway Bowl, Duluth Trading Cure Bowl. I don't mm. even know what that means. I don't I care. Don't either. I'm going to watch it all. <laughs> so I do get why the concept of the college football bowl game now feels devalued. I get that more players than ever are entering the transfer portal and or protecting their stock ahead of the NFL draft. And so they're missing all of this. I also get that the underlying argument of our new college football playoff system is that the ceremony, the late night infomercial adjacent ceremony of these weird one-off de facto playoff games was simply not enough. But today, we bring you Ryan McGee a person whose bowl overfloweth to explain why this holiday tradition should not only be protected, but savored. Even if you aren't a degenerate gambler or, yeah, a guy who just loves mayonnaise. I'm Pablo Torre. It's Tuesday, December 20th. This is ESPN Daily. So, McGee, I just want to explain for everyone here, myself included, you know, how did all of this start? Because the tradition to explain it to someone who doesn't have any of the context here, um, it, it, it does seem bizarre, right? It seems profoundly bizarre that we have all of these games with, like, sponsorships that are obscure and endlessly weird. So what's the origin story of why this is a thing? It started with the one that we call the granddaddy of them all. And it's why we call it the granddaddy of them all. It's why Keith Jackson coined that phrase. The Rose Bowl was originally a game that was concocted to support the parade, to support, you know, the Tournament of Roses. And to most of the people in Pasadena who grew up there, the game is still secondary to those things because that's the game started as a support event for the Tournament of Roses. It was played essentially in a city park. And then in 1923, they opened the Rose Bowl. This year will be the 100th edition of that game uh, you know, since they opened that stadium. And it was based on the Yale Bowl on the East Coast. And all it was was an East Coast, West Coast, you know, postseason exhibition game. And it turned out to be a pretty good idea. The royalty of college football is in assembly at the Rose Bowl 2006. The site for this ultimate showdown in college football is one of the famed arenas of sport, the Rose Bowl, where the festival of postseason play was started more than a hundred years ago in the city of Pasadena, California. And then some of the larger cities saw the tourism boost, and the team saw the benefit of, oh, by the way, some extra practices, and now you're on the radio and eventually on television. It's pretty good for the program, as all coaches like to say. And so you went from one bowl game to three or four to a dozen. And then when we hit the 90s, this exploded. And the reason was because it's great for the towns and it's great for the teams. 
And it also, in my opinion, still remains great for college football because for the fans, it's more college football. For the college football players, it's a chance to play, in most chances, one last game. You know, we, we obsess over the potential first-round draft picks, and we obsess over those who are going to play at the next level. To me, bowl games are about the guys who are never going to play again. And so now I admittedly am imagining you, McGee, as a judge on, like, the college football version of Antiques Roadshow. Because you have your private collection of merchant artifacts. And what you seem to be getting at here is that the true value of all of this stuff, these things that are objectively not a national championship trophy, that true value is a lot bigger than what most of us might think. I'll give you a story. So, and I've learned this from my father. My dad has a, has a drawer full of watches and rings from bowl games. And watching people react to my dad at the airport with his Rose Bowl ring on or with his Orange Bowl ring on or with his Fiesta Bowl watch. And everyone wants to know, what is this? Where'd that come from? So as a result, I spend a lot of my time looking at people's hands. If I see a guy that I believe that if I see a man or woman, I'm like that definitely was a college athlete. I look at their hands and I think, all right, are they wearing any jewelry I need to ask about? At the 2014 Indianapolis 500, I cover motorsports, as you know. Uh, I was getting a tour of this brand new tricked out, uh, you know, sponsor activation area. And this sales representative that was kind of giving us this tour, I see this huge ring he has on. And finally, I'm like, hey, man, you got to tell me about this ring. His name was Brandon Mosley. And this ring was from the 2007 Insight Bowl. Might have even been the Insight.com Bowl. And that was played in Tempe, Arizona. He was a junior safety at Indiana. And going into that season, their goal was to play 13. That's what they had hung on banners. That's what they had printed on T-shirts to play 13 games. The reason was because the year before, they came one win short of qualifying for a bowl game. And, and their coach had been diagnosed, Terry Hobner had been diagnosed with a brain tumor. He died in the summer of 2007. And that play 13, their goal was to do that to honor the coach that had recruited them and that had signed them and had gotten them to within one win of a bowl game the year before. And they qualified for a bowl game. And they went to the Insight Bowl. They lost to Oklahoma State. And when Brandon Mosley told me that story with that ring on in a game that they lost, he had big tears in his eyes. Well, Coach Hepp is never far from the hearts and minds of anyone on this Indiana sideline, and he's memorialized on their helmet. You'll see this decal on every helmet tonight, the number 13 and the words, don't quit. It was Terry Hepner's dream that these Hoosiers would play 13 games. They're doing so tonight, of course. And don't quit was his favorite poem. And, he, and he, he let me hold the ring, and he said to me, he said, people will tell you these games don't matter, but they do. And every single bowl game has stories like that. But the trophy case, right? The literal trophy case in which you have to arrange it, right? You're decorating now. You're saying, okay, where do we put the big ones? Where do we put the insight bowl stuff? Like, where do we put the holiday bowls? But the point is, when you go and visit these schools, like, and you look at these trophy cases, McGee, Tell me how they arrange them. Is there pride in it when they have the lesser things? It's my favorite thing to do. My favorite thing to do because every, for folks that don't know, when you go into these football offices, whether it's a massive facility like at Ohio State 
or whether it's a modest facility, you know, next to the stadium, like a Utah State. You go into these offices, and the first thing I love to do is look at the bowl trophies. Quite frankly, the first thing I do is I find the games my dad officiated. There's almost always one in the lobby somewhere. I sent him one from Oklahoma State earlier this year from, from a Gator Bowl, and I take a picture of the trophy and I text it to dad. Well, what you find is, yes, there's pride in every single one of them. My all-time favorite story about that was I went out to BYU, and I was interviewing Lavelle Edwards, of course, the College Football Hall of Famer and, and you know, kind of the godfather of the past happy offenses that we have in, in, in college football now. And we just started talking about bowl games. My dad had actually officiated uh, in a Citrus Bowl loss that BYU had to Ohio State. And we're talking about that game. And I walk out into the lobby of the football office with Coach Edwards. And the Holiday Bowl trophies were lined up for like 50 <laughs> yards. There were so many of them. But then mixed in, there were Freedom Bowls, game that doesn't exist anymore. The Copper Bowl, game that doesn't exist anymore. But I said to Coach Edwards, I said, how important are these wins to you right and he said to me he said these trophies might as well be made out of rebar because this is what we use to build this program and it is when when BYU won the BYU won the national championship they won that by beating Michigan in the holiday bowl which at the time was a game no one really knew much about wasn't played mm. on New Year's Eve and they won that football game and won a national title but that's the game that put BYU on the map Yes, they were number one. This is the 84 Holiday Bowl in San Diego, staged inside the now-demolished Jack Murphy Stadium, and that game crowned the actual national champion somehow that year. And they kept winning those games and winning those games and winning those games, and they built you know, a national brand, and that's always stuck with me. Well, at, at this point then... I do wonder what you honestly think of the guys who, the players who decide that this doesn't mean as much to me or this isn't going to stick with me in the way it sticks with maybe you. And so, hey, the draft is coming up. I am making a cost-benefit analysis about my future, right? When you see this trend, really, just increase and increase and more headlines come out about guys making that exact decision, what do you think about it? Well, professionally, I get it. I, I don't. I don't disparage anyone who does it. I understand why they do it. But I'll say this: as um, someone who is older, much older than the kids I cover in college, twice their age, you don't realize now, at nineteen, twenty, twenty-one years old, how much one more game would mean to you, because everyone around you is telling you. You got to be ready for this, and you got to be ready for that, and you got to get ready for the next level. And I totally do not question that. But I'll tell you this, Pablo. I have talked to multiple players. I'm talking about Pro Bowl players who have told me I cannot share their name, who have looked at me and said, man, I wish I had stuck around and played that last game. Now they don't even go. You know, I remember Leonard Fournette standing on the sideline. He at least went, you know, with LSU. Right, right. one but, of the but, first real cases of this exactly. of this decision. I'm going to prioritize McCaffrey, my, my body Fournette. and money. Yeah, right, right. And so now it happens all the time. And I think the mistake they make is they're they're talked into it, and that's fine. And their advisors are, are doing what they think is the best thing to do. But make the trip. But but the the part that hurts them is when they're watching the game and they can't play. 
or when they're watching the game and they're not playing. And that's when suddenly they realize that a quote-unquote meaningless game probably would have meant a lot if they'd have just been able to dress one more time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what is happening now, McGee? There is a, it's a mutation of the thing that we just discussed that started about five years ago, really, in earnest, um, of the opt-outs. Because now we're dealing with the transfer portal. And the transfer portal, I mean, the numbers on this, and this is even outside of any sort of judgment about good or bad, the normative aspect of like, what's this doing to the sport? It's just staggering statistically, right? The sheer volume of players who have entered this uh, because why? Give us, the, give us the mechanics of how this thing works. Well, it's pretty simple. I mean, if you want, if you're not happy with your situation, or you think you could find a better situation elsewhere as a college athlete, you know, not so long ago, and it was this rule for decades. If you wanted to transfer to another school, you had to sit out a year. That's not the case anymore. Now you you jump into the portal, and uh, and then you will start finding out very soon who's going to go where. You know, the portal opened on December the fifth. It lasts for a month mm. and a half, and during that time, you put in your name, and you can go somewhere else. The problem is the timing of it. You know, right? We, we've ruined it's right it's, before all of the yeah, things you love. <laughs> we've already ruined signing day. You know, I mean, my my daughter is a, is a high school senior, and you know, she goes to school with with guys who who in years past would have been declaring next week with the whole hats on the table and the whole, now they have to wait, and they have to wait because of. The transfer portal. So the timing of it is is my issue. The timing of it, this landing on top of this new December signing day that we have, but then also landing right in the middle of bowl season and forcing guys to make these decisions now um, when they could potentially play again. But at the same time, for a century, the complaint was that the student-athletes had no power. And Correct. they were just at the whim of the rule book. And so I have no issue with them being able to have more control over their own destiny. Um, I just think Same. That, to, to quote the great Jason Priestley from Tombstone, <laughs> there's got to be some sort of law. And right now, there ain't no law. They just kind of do what they want within the windows they're allowed to do it. Yeah, and to quote another line from another show that Jason Priestley was in, I think you'd like to see, yeah, Donna Martin graduate. <laughs> Yeah. And so when we see the slate of games coming up, I mean, it's it's obvious now the ways in which the games have been crippled as to the big names who would have been in there but are not. So Clemson, Tennessee, right? Clemson against your Tennessee Volunteers, the Orange Bowl on December 30th, right? Like, this is going to be vastly different now. It is. And my, um, you know, we have first-round draft picks that are leaving. We have, you know, uh, DJ, our quarterback at Clemson, who was the starter all year, who's not going to be the starter in this game. He's gone. Um, you know, a lot of the names that we knew for these super high-level, big-brand, big-box programs all season long in these bowl games, a lot of those names are gone. And I get it. I understand the frustration about it. But I would also say this, it's still college football. You know, you're still rooting for laundry. You know, your team is still the team that's going to be there. My alma mater will still be playing in the Orange Bowl, no matter who is on the roster and who isn't on the roster. 
after the break, why mayonnaise is undefeated. Delicious meat nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is not only are Wonderful Pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. Okay, so I'm now trying to figure out what to watch then, McGee, right? And I need, this is where I summon your expert consulting services because help me program these next couple weeks. Like, what should I be watching? I'm handing you my remote control. Tell me where to look. Wait, all right, we'll go Iowa, Kentucky. There's still an amazing storyline in that football game. Yes, it's going to be missing big stars, But Mark Stoops, who, in my opinion, he has orchestrated one of the greatest reconstructions in college football history. This is Kentucky football. (laughs) And now all they do is they win eight, nine games a year, and they play in ball games every year. They win double-digit games about every other year. Right. Guess where he played defensive back? At Iowa. Mm. Guess where he started his coaching career? At Iowa. When there was so much noise Earlier this year about Iowa, you know, maybe firing Kirk Ferentz, the Iowa faithful were saying, we want to hire Mark Stoops. In the middle of a a season where he was trying to compete for the SEC East, Stoops was having to defend himself about, I don't, I'm not want to go to Iowa. I want want to stay here. So there's still a storyline there. And so to you, the trans-perfect Music City Bowl actually does still feel kind of perfect. Kind of, yeah, kind of trans perfect, whatever that is, right? <laughs> whatever it's, that it's, is. It's, it's what it is, yeah. But, but and, and on New Year's Eve, you know, obviously we have the college football playoff semifinals on New Year's Eve. There are other games, and, and I would certainly focus on that. Iowa. Listen, uh, the Cheez It Bowl, mm. which by the way, just a, a phenomenal name and um, a phenomenal snack, right? Agreed. But Florida State is ahead of schedule, you know, with its reconstruction project. Oklahoma. It's kind of behind schedule, but there they sit. Two classic brand names in football. January 2nd, the ReliQuest Bowl. You and I just talked about the death of Mike Leach. Yes, last week. And that team, the Mississippi State Bulldogs, elected to go on and play in their bowl game and do so in honor of Mike Leach, in memory of Mike Leach. And so they're going to play in that football game with a newly named head coach playing Illinois who, by the way, has really struggled for a really long time. They were really good at football this year. They had the best running back in the Big Ten. Well, well, what if I don't love college football tradition, hypothetically, but I am going to be on my couch and I'm not going to move around very much, let's be honest. And what I want to see is some points. 
Yeah. I just want entertainment. I want lowest common denominator, highest denominator scores. So what can you give me along those lines? I'm going to give you one right off the top. The New Mexico Bowl. SMU, who we all know the death penalty, but we also know Sonny Dykes, who's got TCU in the college football playoff. He built this program at SMU, and it's built in the air raid style. And then they're playing BYU. And we mentioned BYU earlier. BYU, that's that's the classic program that came up with kind of the original high-flying offense. I mean, you want points. They're both averaging. I think BYU averages 35 points a game. SMU averages almost 42 points a game. The first responder bowl, the serve pro first responder bowl, December 27th, Memphis and Utah State. All they do is score points. And the names, I mean, the, this is where this is where I I am endlessly entertained. Admittedly, is for as random seemingly as these bowl sponsorships are, there are also traditions, both new and old, that I admit to being just amused by. Which is the one that you find yourself tickled by when you watch these things? I mean, the Sun Bowl which is, again, a classic bowl game. That game has been around for decades. Is now sponsored by Tony the Tiger. <laughs> Individually, Tony the Tiger has decided to break away from Frosted Flakes. Yeah, <laughs> Tony, the, the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. Yeah, which, by the way, Marty Smith apparently was in a TV commercial with Tony the Tiger. So if you, I, you know, I <laughs> Of feel course like, he was. Yeah, I feel like I should. I feel like maybe we should have some, some uh, skybox seats to that game. Um, <laughs> I mean, where I live in Charlotte, the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Oh yeah, that's, um, dude, that's, this, that, that's my favorite. It, it, but it, it used to be the Monarchy Car Care Bowl. The names, here's the thing about the names. They're ridiculous. The names are, let's just say right. that. 100%. And, but listen, you're also talking to a guy that has covered NASCAR his entire adult life. So whatever. <laughs> you know, if you want to wear the logo on your shirt, I don't care. I was going to say, shameless capitalism is not something that intuitively offends you. Yeah. But here's the thing. If you really know your college football history, this is not new. If you go down to Baylor and they have all their bowl games listed, and, and, and Baylor now is good at football. For a century, they weren't. But they have painted on the side of their beautiful stadium uh, there on the river all the bowl games they've been to. One of their bowl games was the Gotham City Bowl. The hell is that? I don't know. There was a Bacardi Bowl that was played in Havana. <laughs> and that, but which, by the way, is the bowl I would have wanted to go to. But the point is, the goofy names have been around for a long time. Truly, like, I love watching Duke's mayonnaise get poured on some coach. Like, it is Nickelodeon and college football and a thing that I may have, you know, come up with stoned writing in a Mad Lib once. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that uh, Shane Beamer is still suffering from concussion-like symptoms after they tried to dump a bucket of mayonnaise on his head (laughs) and it slipped out of their hands. And hit him in the head. <laughs> That's right. That's a smart man for leaving the hat on. He may be in his first year as a head coach. That is a veteran move here. I'm impressed by the viscosity of this mayonnaise. It almost took him out. Oh. Oh. Coach, <laughs> is it everything you dreamt of? It is everything I dreamed of. I got cut. They hit me too because the, the cooler got me in the back of the head than the mayo, but it was awesome. When did the Potato Bowl start? The famous Idaho, is that is that an institution or is that recent? I wouldn't call it an institution, but the famous Idaho Potato Bowl started in 97. 
I mean, it's not new uh-huh. by any stretch. Pouring fries on on the victorious. Yeah, so so the it, it became the Potato Bowl. I want to say in like 2010, 2011. Now it, that game had some great games. It was the Humanitarian Bowl. It was the MPC <laughs> Computers Bowl. But for three years, it was the Roadies Truck Stops Bowl. Come on, man. What an evolution. Yeah. America, the tapestry of American culture contained in a timeline of bowl sponsorships. What else could possibly make you happier than seeing the person walking around on the sideline of what we used to call the Outback Bowl dressed like a blooming onion? Oh, yeah. They used to have like a a, a contest. You, they have a person dressed like a coconut shrimp. Yes. And a person walking around dressed like a blooming onion. And, you know, I, I don't know if they would duke it out. I don't know what the deal was, but they would walk around the sideline and, and then, you know, the teams would play touch football on the beach. And I joke about my hometown bowl game, the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Those guys get to go to the Charlotte Motor Speedway and ride shotgun with NASCAR, professional NASCAR stock car race car drivers in the Richard Petty driving experience. <laughs> they get to go 180 miles an hour around a racetrack. I mean, all these guys get to do all this stuff. And, oh, by the way, they also get to go into the gift room and they get free stuff. <laughs> We're always saying these players don't ever get anything. They get a lot in these ball games, which is why they should go. Up next, what you should go and root for in the college football playoff. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. But in terms of the games that obviously own the prime position in any trophy case, the games that need no such mayonnaise bath or or potato tsunami to sell themselves, the college football playoff, the semifinal we're about to get on New Year's Eve, We have number two Michigan, number three TCU in the Fiesta Bowl. We get number one Georgia and number four Ohio State in the Peach Bowl. What are you expecting out of this? Where does this fit into the cornucopia, the hunger-inducing cornucopia that we have been outlining? Well, I mean, it's, I would argue, three of the four classic brands of college football in Ohio State, Michigan, and Georgia. And then TCU, which to a lot of people is this kind of party crasher, outlier, whatever. The reality is, if you know your college football history, then you know there's a ridiculous amount of history at that place. But, you know, I'll start with the nightcap. 
which will be the Peach Bowl. And it's Ohio State and Georgia. And, you know, in this college football playoff era, which really what started in 2014, yeah, you know, there's four programs that have played football at a different level than everyone else. It's Alabama and Clemson who aren't in this college football playoff. And then it's Ohio State and Georgia. Ohio State won the first college football playoff championship and Georgia won the last one played just a year ago. And it's this irresistible force, unmovable object, you know, deal CJ Stroud and Marvin Harrison Jr. and this ridiculous offense. I think they're second in the nation in total offense and have been for the last three or four years under Ryan Day. And then Georgia sent eight defensive starters to the NFL draft last spring. They're so good. Eight. And they're second in the nation in scoring defense. So it's kind of a something's got to give thing. And then TCU and Michigan, on paper, they look like complete opposites. You know, TCU is air raid, and, you know, they're averaging, what, 45 points a game. But right behind them offensively is Michigan with a completely different style. It's just ground and pound. It is old school, pro set, right? khaki wearing Jim Harbaugh. Harbaugh going all in on his roots. Exactly. But the reality is they have a lot in common. Michigan last year was the first team in the playoff era to start the season outside the top 25 and make the playoff. TCU is now the second. Uh, you know, if TCU wins the national championship, I think it's been more than 80 years since they won one, which will be the longest span between titles. Well, Michigan had to wait almost half a century between titles when they finally won it back in 97, which was a really long time ago. So Aaron Land and Purple and Maze and Reptiles and Mammals, you know, on paper, Michigan and TCU are very different. But the reality is, is that they're still the playoff party crashers. And in terms of the party that we should want to see, not the party that we will see, because Georgia seems like clearly just the best team in the country. I mean, that's, that, that, that feels right. They are. But in terms of the party that you want to see as an entertainment product, McGee, what's the thing that gets sort of the hairs on your arm standing up? We get so lathered up thinking about the idea of you know, Michigan-Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship, you know, in this non-divisional future that we're moving into. Mm. But can you imagine if they play for a national championship? <laughs> Michigan and Ohio State? God. I mean, you know, think about it. A year ago, we were talking about Duke and North Carolina, you know, in the Final Four, not even a year ago, back in the spring. Yes. And we just couldn't wrap our brains around it. And uh, can you imagine... Right. Something that had never happened, channeling the baddest blood imaginable. And God bless bowl games. We have spent all this time praising them. But in the old school bowl format, this was not possible. Right. It, it, even in the BCS format, this really wasn't possible. And now it's possible. And we could, with all due respect to TCU and Georgia, because honestly, I would love to see the TCU offense against the Georgia defense in the championship game. But just... If we had Ohio State and Michigan <laughs> for the national championship, I I just I cannot even imagine the fights that will break out in snowbanks all along the Ohio Michigan border throughout the month of January. I can only imagine the scene of you watching this with just a perma grin on your face, your body swaddled. In the glow of that game and also um, all of the blankets. 
You have so many blankets, it feels like, I've learned. Yeah. In that room you're in, yeah. watching this. So many. I'll say this. <laughs> the only thing that could possibly top having Michigan and Ohio State playing for a national championship would be if we had Michigan and Ohio State you know, playing in the bad boy mowers Gasparilla Bowl. <laughs> Just add a little mayo on there, and I am absolutely in. That's it. little mayo concussion never hurt anybody. Right, Shane Beamer? <laughs> Ryan McGee, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, all of that. And uh, yeah, thanks for telling us about the American dream. Thank you, Pablo Torre. Hey, it's okay to have fun. Bowl games are fun. (laughs) I'm Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily. I'll talk to you tomorrow.